This episode is brought to you by ProMensal. One of the things that Dr. Rosie King really talks about quite a lot is this idea of decision-driven sex rather than desire-driven sex. Because, as I like to say, if we all sit around and wait to feel spontaneous desire, we'll never have sex again. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to ever enjoy sex again, but it does mean that you have to actually actively plan if you want to have a good, healthy sex life. You have to program it and prioritise it the way that we busy women do with everybody else and everything else in our lives. Welcome to another episode of Thriving in Menopause, brought to you by Prevention Magazine. I'm Andrea Deval, the editor of Prevention, and today we're going to find out a really straightforward answer to what happens to our lady parts during menopause. So just a warning, this episode contains explicit content. With me is Dr. Kelly Teagle. Kelly is a GP who specialises in women's health at her online clinic, Wellfem, and she has a particular expertise in health issues around menopause. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, Andrea. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining us. I know you're on a mission to provide practical support for women around every aspect of menopause. And I think as women, we tend to talk a lot about some physical changes around menopause, things like, um, you know, belly fat or perhaps what might be happening in our faces. But we're less likely to be sharing some more intimate changes that take place in our bodies. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. I think there's uh, a lot of stigma around menopause in general, but then add to that the overlay of um, talking about your intimate areas, and that can be quite confronting for people. So what are some of the misconceptions that you see women have around menopause? Yeah, none of us likes to think that we're changing. I think inside we're all kind of locked somewhere in our 20s or 30s generally, aren't we? And then Absolutely. it can be quite quite a shock when you look in the mirror. So I think all of us have those those moments and that's probably, again, why we don't like to talk about it so much. Um, but it is the saddest thing, I think, is the fact that women say goodbye to their sex lives a lot of the time. They seem to think that women over 40 aren't sexy anymore or that they're not going to enjoy sex as much. Um, so they, they tend to give up on their, their sex lives or that they, or accept that they're not going to have an interest in sex anymore. And there is this misconception that it's abnormal to lose your libido or to have a lower libido from midlife. And actually it's very, very normal. So, you know, there's lots of, lots of myths and misconceptions and people feel like there's not anything that they can do about it. And that's the biggest myth of all, because there's lots of things you can do about it. It's interesting because, as we've touched on in previous episodes, this all comes at a time when we've never been busier in our lives. We're really tired at the end of the day. And as a consequence, it can be really hard to get your head into that space. I know, right? It's um, There's just so much going on and it's hard to feel sexy when you're exhausted, particularly if you've been woken by flushes during the night, your sleep quality is very poor, you've got everyone's demands on you. You might have, um, you know, teenage kids or even younger kids and aging parents and a demanding job. Women are, you know, in their careers at the top of their game and there's a, a lot going on in their lives. So, you know, when you're finally having some intimate moments with your partner, it's really hard to wind down and get your head right into that headspace, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, we know that um, estrogen declines during perimenopause. Can you tell me what impact that has 
Yes, so it has an, a big impact in general. You think about the fact that every cell in your body has estrogen receptors, and I describe it to my patients as though your body was going into withdrawal. So you've got a certain relatively high level of reproductive hormones during your reproductive and fertile years, and they fluctuate up and down a little bit, the estrogen and progesterone with every cycle, but you know, overall relatively high. So our cells in our body have been bathed in this relatively high estrogen environment for decades. And then all of a sudden, it's going haywire. They're going, the levels are going up and down quite dramatically. There's a lot of dynamic changes between the levels of the different hormones and your body gets very, very confused. So at times when the estrogen's quite low or falling, uh, that can send off messages to your brain and your brain chemistry that cause instability in mood, can cause fluctuations. And then postmenopausally, once we're not ovulating at all anymore, that instability tends to settle down. So you can actually see an improvement in the stability of mood, which is a a great thing. But uh, overall, with the lower estrogen levels, this leads to other problems long-term, such as a rise in heart disease risk, a drop in bone density. And where our lady parts are concerned, it does induce some changes in that area as well. Okay. So, Let's talk about what those changes are. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when you're younger, when you're in your prime of your reproductive years, uh, the vulval area looks sort of plump and moist and it's resilient. The skin is well toned and pink and the vagina is fairly well lubricated. And a lot of this is due to estrogen. So as you would imagine, when our estrogen levels get lower, those things can be affected. And you can see, you know, that the vulval area doesn't look as plump, the labia might look flattened, um, so that the area isn't as sort of sitting as plump and full as it used to. And also the lubrication can be affected. So women find it harder to become lubricated and they're not as as um, well ready for intercourse when it happens. This can lead to pain in some cases. So how common is it to experience pain then? Yeah, it's very, very common. In fact, Um, I read a study from about 2016 of Australian women, and it said that 28% of postmenopausal women are actually experiencing pain with sexual intercourse, and 75% actually have problems with lubrication. So this is incredibly common. And with the lubrication issue, it's so common as to be actually normal. We tend to think that um, that, that how um, lubricated we are down there is, is to do with how horny we feel as well. Do these mm. somehow become a little bit disconnected? For sure, yes. And when it comes to that dynamic between you and your partner, sometimes the partner gets a bit affronted by that, thinking that they're not ter- not doing it right, not turning you on anymore, or that you're just not as into them as you used to be. So there are some psychological things around this. I mean, A, we've got to be able to switch off all that busy, busy brain stuff so that we can be in the moment and be in, in our bodies to enjoy it. But then there's the physiological drivers, the lower testosterone, the lower estrogen. So you're just not creating as much mucus. The blood flow is lower, you know, you have lots of age-related just general issues as well, not just the menopause itself, but general ageing processes affect your blood flow to that area so you don't become aroused as easily or as lubricated as easily. So what can we do about this, Kelly? 
Well, there's there's many, many things. And, you know, I can talk to you for hours and hours just on the subject of, of libido alone, which I often do with my patients, in fact. But, um, you know, there are, you, you, we have to break it down. You know, there's, there's problems around libido, there's problems around dryness, there's problems around pain. Sometimes they're all intertwined. And, you know, put a layer on that as well of women who may have suffered previous traumas or pain or, you know, medical issues even that have caused some kind of problem to give them chronic pain down there. And these all become very, very intertwined and hard to pull apart. So, you know, we have to, first of all, find out what the woman's actual issue is. Is it that she's just not interested in initiating with sex? Is it that she can't become aroused or orgasm? Is it that she's having a lubrication problem? Is it that she's got a past history of trauma or difficulties in her relationship, which are making her feel aversion to her partner in general? or not actually feeling loving towards her partner. So, you know, as you can tell from from just this little summary alone, you might have roles there for um, a GP, you might have a role there for a dermatologist or a gynecologist, there might be a role here for a pelvic floor physiotherapist, there's medications, there's different sorts of pelvic floor exercises and training. It depends on what the woman's issue is. That's so interesting that they are independent and not necessarily all the one thing. And I think this is where we tend to think, oh, it's me. And there becomes, and maybe our partner goes, it's you. Um, and so it's nice to, to tease these things apart. I'm going to get a little bit specific again here. If these things are happening around our labia. I imagine it's happening to our clitoris as well and that this um, blood flow also impacts the sensitivity of the clitoris and perhaps that impacts women's ability to orgasm. Mm, yes, for sure. Uh, it can go a number of different ways, actually. So women do find that it takes them a lot longer to become aroused. Um, you know, the same types of sensations that would have once, you know, sent them crazy and made them orgasm, all of a sudden aren't doing it for them anymore. So sensitivity may be reduced and they might actually need different kinds of stimulation to really enjoy sexual intercourse or become aroused in the first place. Um, then there's the other end of the spectrum where because of the physical changes in that area, it actually might be that the clitoris is more oversensitive and actually that even light touch can become quite painful. So for that woman, you know, a very, very gentle approach is going to be needed. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back soon. Perimenopause can actually start in your 40s. Declining estrogen production during perimenopause brings on changes to menstrual cycles and often the onset of hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings and sexual problems. Promensal Peri is specifically designed for perimenopausal women and can help relieve these common menopausal symptoms. Promensal Peri is available at leading pharmacies across Australia and offers a cost-effective treatment at under $1 a day. When things start to change, try Promensal Perry. Always read the label and follow the directions for use. And we're back. Kelly, one of the things that research has shown is that when it comes to libido, one of the things that affects our sexual functioning most of all is our feelings about our partner. 
Oh, yeah, that's that's absolutely huge. There's so much psychological overlay in any intimate relationship and it all begins with how you feel about your partner. You know, if you've been with your partner for a long time, it might be worth reflecting on, you know, just those early days when you couldn't get enough of each other because it was all exciting and new. You were putting your best foot forward and you really wanted to please the other person. Think about what it was in those interactions that excited you so much and how you can recapture that experience to a certain extent with your new partner. And I do believe that research has shown that the best uh, rejuvenator of a woman's libido is actually a new partner. Not to say that you should all rush out and trade in your old one, but that's something we're thinking about that, you know, (laughs) that just demonstrates how much of psychological uh, factor there is, I guess, in these interactions. Okay, so talking about libido, another thing that's important to point out is that men also face changes during midlife. That's exactly right. It's not all about the female partner. There are many, many factors that impact on a man's libido and also his physical capacity to be able to get and maintain an erection or even enjoy sex. So, you know, loads of things will go on in a man's life. For example, certain medications that impact on a woman's libido will have the same impact on a man, like antidepressant medications is a classic one. And then as as we get older, you know, we've got cardiovascular disease or diabetes coming into the into play there sometimes, which can affect the blood flow to the penis. It can affect um, nerve sensation. So many, many things might be coming into this. And men's testosterone declines with age as well as women's. As, so, so that's going to have an impact on them too. Let's talk specifically about the vaginal, uh, or the, the, the vulval dryness and pain. What can women do about that? I think first and foremost, Andrea, women should always go and talk to their GP. They need to have a a thorough history taken and have a very good examination by someone who actually knows what they're looking at to see whether it might be typical age and menopause-related changes of the vagina and vulva or whether there might be something else going on. Uh, After all, not everything that causes vulval itching, dryness, pain is going to be menopause related. There are plenty of menopausal aged women that have other sorts of dermatological conditions that are really important to know about because they can be easily treated and potentially even prevent cancers. So make sure someone looks at it properly. And if you are postmenopausal and you're not actually using any hormonal treatments, Don't be fobbed off by being repeatedly told that you've got thrush. It's actually not that common that women are going to get very bad thrush or recurrent thrush postmenopausally. That's usually in the women who are more well estrogenized that that happens. So definitely if you've been treated repeatedly for thrush and it's not getting you anywhere, definitely make sure you're getting a good examination. Then from there, if your issue is specifically uh, related to pain because um, you you can't relax um, or there's other reasons like a prolapse that's impacting, I would go and refer people to a pelvic floor physiotherapist for a thorough assessment and perhaps some kind of um, therapy that they can do there to help with pain. If the issue is specifically dryness or that the 
the vaginal tissues are very fragile and getting damaged during sexual intercourse or penetration, I would say uh, there's a couple of things we definitely need to do. Number one, always use a lubricant for sexual intercourse. If there's daily dryness just during the daytime that's making you uncomfortable, you could even get a light water-based vaginal moisturiser to use every day. And so those are those are measures that you can take over the counter just to just to um, to make things feel better. I would say for sexual intercourse though to stick to the oil or silicon-based lubricants if you're having issues with pain because those stay on the surface of the tissues for longer and therefore they're actually good and glidy and lubricating for longer. Then the next step up is to get something prescribed by your GP. So if the pain, the the thinning, the dryness of the vaginal walls is very, very bad, then uh, or even if it's moderately bad, actually, you can get a lot of improvement by applying vaginal estrogens directly to the vaginal area. And these can be in the form of a pessary or a cream, and they work very, very quickly. And uh, what a lot of women are worried about is they think that any form of hormonal treatment is going to increase their risk of breast cancer. This is not the case for the vaginally applied things. They don't have much of an impact, if any, on circulating blood levels of estrogen. So it's not going to stop your hot flushes, but it works very quickly and very well to make those vaginal tissues more plump and resilient and well lubricated. So your GP can prescribe those for you. So they have to be on prescription. That's right. That's that's exactly right. And finally, just to finish off on this topic, I would also mention about infections because another thing that happens as we age is that the pH of the vagina rises and that makes us more prone to getting bacterial overgrowth like bacterial vaginosis, for example. So if you're getting an unusual or a smelly discharge, it always needs to be checked out and your GP might take a sample uh, to send away to the lab just to check and make sure what it is. Uh, don't forget the fact that, you know, women of all ages can get sexually transmitted infections too. So it's super important, particularly if you've had recent change of partner, that you you get an STI check and get that sorted out with your GP as well. Um, are women also more prone to urinary tract infections at this stage? Absolutely. Generally speaking, sexually uh, active women are more prone to getting urinary tract infections anyway. So it's more common in sexually active women. But the other problem is that as we age and those tissues are more fragile and not as well supported, um, then the, the normal mechanisms that stop bugs from getting up into the urethra and into the bladder uh, are not as good. And the immune system in that region isn't as good at protecting us against UTIs. Okay, so now we've had the doctors all clear that we're fine. How do we deal with feeling the love, as it were, getting our mojo libido back and having a happy sex life? Oh, man, that is the million-dollar question. If I had the the answer to that, I'd be a very wealthy woman. <laughs> and if anyone has the answer to that, it's something like Dr. someone like Dr. Rosie King, for example. She's written some fabulous books on this subject, One that I particularly love is called Where Did My Libido Go? And it's got this beautiful picture of a woman looking underneath her bed as though she's lost something. That is a really lovely introductory read to the whole topic of our libido and, you know, the different things that can affect it, the different categories of libido issues. Um, But to break it down, I like to say to my, my patients, 
first of all, is it just that you find that you're not particularly interested, you don't look at your partner anymore and want to jump his bones? Or is it that you actually, once you're engaged intimately, you can't become aroused and orgasm? Because these are two separate categories of problems. So the first category is very, very normal. This is the sort of category of libido issue where life has just gotten in the way and with our lower testosterone levels, we just don't have that physical drive anymore to to want to spontaneously initiate sex. Um, the second category is very, very multi-complex, you know, multifactorial. Um, lots of different things can impact on that and there may be different treatment options available that you'd need to talk to your doctor about or your psychologist. But uh, going back to the first, one of the things that Dr. Rosie King really talks about quite a lot is this idea of decision-driven sex rather than desire-driven sex. Because as I like to say, if we all sit around and wait to feel spontaneous desire, we'll never have sex again. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to ever enjoy sex again, but it does mean that you have to actually actively plan if you want to have a good, healthy sex life. You have to program it and prioritize it the way that we busy women do with everybody else and everything else in our lives. And this might be as simple as planning with your partner to have a date night regularly. Just when you're not exhausted, you're not distracted, you don't have lots of kids running around and you engage with one another in conversation or going out dancing or or bowling or doing something just for fun that you enjoy doing together. Engage with one another emotionally, let that intimacy build and that warmth build and then, you know, later on maybe have a kiss and cuddle and see where that goes. But you have to create those opportunities. Um, Most people find that if they just wait around for those opportunities to crop up, that something's going to get in the way. Either one of you doesn't feel like it or there's something else on the back burner and it's all off. Kelly, you have an interesting tip about exercise. (laughs) Yes. So as we mentioned earlier, there's lots of issues related to aging and our enjoyment of sex. And one of them is blood flow. So it is true that if you actually go and exercise prior to sex, that it's going to increase the blood flow to all areas of your body. So you might find that it's easier to become aroused and get excited more quickly. There's lots of feel good pheromones and and you're feeling energized and, uh, and, and, general sense of well-being after exercising might maybe your partner likes the smell of girl sweat who knows but there could be many reasons so definitely a bit of exercise before intercourse or or sex in general could be a good thing kelly you've given us a lot to think on thank you so much for joining us today you can find a link to Kelly and Wellfem's online consultation service in the show notes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and also pick up a copy of Prevention Magazine, where you'll find much more great advice about thriving at midlife. I'm Andrea Duval, and thanks to our podcast producer, Rod Morrie. I hope you join us again next time. Listener.